Thank you, choir. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, congregation. And thank the Lord. Thank the Lord because he is risen. You're catching on. Uh, Yes, and I want to thank you visitors for being with us this morning. We're so glad that you've come to worship the Lord this morning here on Easter, and uh, we're we're thankful that you could be a part of what happens here. Uh, Be sure to stop at the visitor's desk on the way out. Uh, There are visitor's cards in front of you, right in the chair. We would love if you just took a moment to fill those out, and then there are offering boxes in the back. Those offering boxes are for our people to give. If you're a visitor here, let your offering be that little card and put that in there. That'll give us a chance to send you a note. Thank you for being with us. And we're just grateful to share in the fellowship together. So Resurrection Day, the greatest day of the calendar year, absolutely the greatest day of the year. He is risen. You know, this is why we do what we do. The resurrection is why we are here this morning. The resurrection is why people got baptized this morning. The resurrection is why we could be home mowing our lawns, but we're not. Instead, we're here worshiping the Lord. The resurrection is why we live differently than the world around us. The resurrection is why we care for one another, care for our neighbors, care for our family, all because Jesus is alive And so because of the resurrection, he has completely changed it. You understand that it's not only the greatest day on the calendar, but the resurrection is the greatest historic event. There is no event greater than this. Through this event, the disciples were changed. You remember them right after the crucifixion. Right after the crucifixion, they were afraid. They were confused. They were huddled in a room. They didn't know what to do, where to go. After the resurrection, they became pioneers. And the way that the Bible describes what they did following the the commands of Christ, the Bible says they turned the world upside down. I love that. They turned the world upside down. With the power and energy that they had, they gave all that they had to promote the message of Jesus Christ who rose from the dead. And though they were threatened with death, though they they were, were come upon and said, deny it or you will die, they couldn't deny it because it was a fact that they saw with their eyes, not just something they believed that happened like you and I do. We have eyes of faith. They had physical eyes that they saw the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They couldn't deny it. And they gave up their lives. They gave up their lives because Jesus Christ was risen. And so we are a part of that same story. We are just the the next chapter in the book of Acts. So we are now the disciples who are just motivated by this resurrection, who are empowered by it and who are living out lives that are different. And then I take a moment and I look at my life and I say, what went wrong? What did I miss? I'm not living like the disciples. Does the resurrection really mean that much, as much as it did to them? Then why aren't I living like that? Now, most of you know me, and you know I'm not a guilty guy. I'm not at all motivated by guilt. I, I focus on, or I don't focus on inadequacies. I focus on, on positive things, but yet I'm challenged, and I challenge you over the next couple of re- weeks, read the book of Acts. Read the resurrection 
and what it made a difference. Take a pen and just underline the word resurrection every time it happens in the book of Acts, and you won't be able to help yourself. You will ask the question, what did I miss? What am I missing? And so I see my job today as having to, to move us to the truths of the resurrection to leave here motivated to become more like the disciples were in the first century who saw with their physical eyes. But we have eyes of faith. And Jesus says that's even better, that we have eyes of faith to see the resurrection. And so this morning, that is our goal. So pray with me. Pray with me now before we open the word together. Oh Lord, help us now. Move us by the power of your resurrection. Move us by, by the 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 power that rose you from the dead. Oh Lord, give us eyes to see. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're looking at one verse today. Remember Christ Jesus, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel from 2 Timothy. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel. So what we're going to do in our short time this morning is just pick each word and take a look at it. So the first is, remember Jesus. Remember Jesus. The name Jesus literally means God saves. So it wasn't only his name, it was actually his mission. It is why he came. He came here to save people. He was sent by God for a purpose, and that purpose was to save people. Listen to these verses. It says, the one is need, or, uh, this one, Jesus, is indeed the savior of the world. The apostle John also says, we have seen and testify that the father sent the son, Jesus, to be the savior of the world. So God commissioned Jesus to come and save sinners. And I ask myself the question, why? Why would he even care? God who is holy, God who is completely self-existent and self-sufficient and needs no one, why would he even care about some sinners? Well, here's why. Because as sinners, we are automatically condemned. We're condemned. Sad news. You hate to hear that this is Easter. What are we talking about this for? But as sinners, we are condemned. Jesus said, he who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name, that name meaning the purpose and his mission that God comes to save. They have not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. Believe in the name. You see, God sent Jesus into the world so that the world might be saved through him. So let me, let me make this practical. Let's say I murder somebody and, and I get thrown into prison. Well, before that though, I, I, I'm in a court. And while I'm there, I'm denying it. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I know I didn't do it. And I've actually convinced myself. I've said, said the lie so many times. I really believe I didn't do it. I didn't do it, I didn't do it. And I'm testifying and other witnesses are testifying. The jury comes, they find me guilty. The judge says my punishment is death. So I'm thrown into prison and I'm there for years awaiting, awaiting the day that I have to die for my sin. While I'm in there, the light comes on. I realize I did do it. The day comes, 
They come and they offer me my last cigarette. No thanks, I don't do it. They offer me a phone call. I call the judge. I say, judge, you know what? I lied. I did do it. I lied so much to myself that I didn't believe it. But my eyes are open now and I did do it. And I'm willing to take what I deserve. And so they bring me into the room with the electric chair. They open the door and I'm shocked because in the chair, somebody's sitting. It's the judge. Wait, 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 there's a mistake here, judge. I said, I did it, not you did it, I did it. I know. Well, what are you doing there? I'm doing this in your place. Judge, no, 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 no. You don't deserve this. I deserve it. I know. But I'm doing this for you in your place. Jesus, his mission to save sinners, and that's exactly what he did. He took the punishment for us. The next word, Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, Christ literally means Messiah. It's the Greek word for Messiah, which is a Hebrew word that means anointed one. Now, in our study of 1 Samuel, we've seen some anointing going on. Saul just got anointed as king. And throughout the Bible, we see that people get anointed for three reasons. For prophet, to be a king, and to be a priest. Those three get anointed. So when Jesus is anointed, he is anointed by the Holy Spirit and he is anointed to be all three of those things, prophet, priest, and king. He is set apart, that's what the word anointed means, set apart for a specific purpose. His goal, his one aim is this purpose and this purpose is to be the Messiah, the anointed one. And here's what Jesus says about this. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me, and here's what he anointed him to do. Here's what Jesus is set apart to do. He was anointed to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. So who are the characters in this verse? Well, we have Jesus, and then we have the poor, we have the captives, we have the blind and the oppressed. Who are these? Well, they're us. That's us. We are, we are poor in spirit. We are poor, we don't understand the, the wealth of salvation. We are, we are, we are uh, captive, we are held captive by our sin. We're blind to the truth. We're oppressed. We're oppressed by, by government or by our, our addictions or by our anger or by whatever. We are oppressed. That's us. And what did Jesus come to do? Free us from all that. It's why he was anointed. It's his purpose, what he was set apart to do. His mission, his purpose, his passion is still to save sinners, to save the blind, the poor, the oppressed, He's still on that work. You cannot find that in anyone else. Though you can look anywhere else, no one else can make this offer to you. Only Jesus Christ, the descendant of David. So this term, remember Jesus Christ, the descendant of David, this is talking about his humanness, that Jesus was fully human. So 
as a descendant of David, uh, Paul even affirms this in the New Testament. He says, Jesus was descended through David according to the flesh. So according to the flesh, meaning that Jesus' earthly mother, Mary, was in the line of David. And in fact, we can trace all the way back from Mary, all the way back to David and to Abraham. So Jesus, in the flesh, was a descendant of David. He was fully human. Jesus' adopted father, Joseph, was also a descendant of David. And his line goes all the way back through David to Adam as well. And so we have that Jesus is not only completely man, but that he is in the line of the king through his adoptive father. He is fully human, just as we are. This means that Jesus had the complete human experience. He was conceived, he was born, he was raised in a home, he had brothers and sisters, he went through puberty, he faced teenage turmoil, he had family drama, no doubt. As he got older, he he got a job, he went to weddings, he went to funerals, and he died. He died. He experienced death just as we did. He had the complete human experience. Jesus died. Now every human dies, so what's the big deal? Every human dies. Wouldn't he die if he was human? He should die, right? We should figure that way. But here's the thing. You see, death is reserved for sinners only. Jesus wasn't a sinner. Jesus never sinned, and so he never deserved death. But he willingly went to death. Oh, why would he do that? He did that because he became a substitute for us. He stepped into our place and said, they should die, I will die in their place. So he died because we deserved it. That sentence doesn't even make sense. He died because we deserved it. But that's exactly what happened. He is the judge who's waiting in the chair for the 2,500 volts to pass through his body. And the problem with that analogy, as horrible as that death must be, it's quick. Jesus suffered on the cross for six hours and suffered for many hours long before that. He suffered for us. And the thing is, he chose it. He chose it for himself. It was not due him. He didn't deserve this. He volunteered for it because it was his mission. It was what he was set apart to do. So Jesus died, and it's important that we understand that he really died because if he didn't die, then the resurrection means nothing, right? The Bible is really clear on his death. In the scriptures, we have that his death is confirmed by so many things. First of all, it was confirmed by the Roman soldiers when they were told, the day is getting late, make sure all the people who were crucified are dead. So break their legs, they break their legs so that they can no longer prop themselves up to try to get air. If you break a crucified person's legs, they can no longer get air, they suffocate quicker. Well, when they get to Jesus, the Roman soldiers said, oh, he's already dead, we don't have to break his legs. So they confirmed that he was dead. Then the spear that was plunged into his side, just to make certain, which plunged his heart and his lung, confirmed that he was dead. Then the men who took Jesus off the cross 
confirmed that his body was dead. As they wrapped him and, and put spices all over his body, they confirmed that he was dead. As those men carried him into the tomb, they confirmed that he was dead. The women who sat and watched Jesus be putting into the tomb confirmed that he was dead. The soldiers that rolled the stone in front of the tomb, they didn't roll the stone in front of the tomb because he was alive. They rolled the stone because he was dead. They sealed it and they stood guard and they all confirmed that Jesus Christ was dead. Jesus died. He was dead, dead. But he is risen. He is risen. Jesus Christ risen from the dead. If his death was not confirmed, then his resurrection would mean nothing. By his own power, he renewed. He renewed and glorified and healed his body. By the power of God, the blood that was stopped was now coursing again through healed veins and through transformed flesh. By the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus physically and materially stood up, came out of the tomb. He was alive. He had been dead, dead, but now he is alive, never to die again. Never to die again because he crushed death. And so the rest, of, the rest of our time together, we're going to look at the benefits of the resurrection. The first is that his resurrection proves that his mission was completed. His mission, would you say that with me? His mission was completed. So this means that there's a seal on all of his claims. You see, before Jesus died, he said, he said to the, to the people, he said, destroy this body and I will rebuild it in three days. He said that the sign of Jonah was that Jesus himself would be like in the belly of the whale when he was in the earth and that he would come out and be raised after three days. Well, he did it. He did it. This puts a seal on all of his claims. He was right. So his resurrection confirms not only that he is alive, but his resurrection confirms that what he came to accomplish, seriously, our forgiveness of sin and new life, he would accomplish because he accomplished the harder thing in, in, in fulfilling his promises about death. Spurgeon said about this, he has performed the work entrusted to him. He has finished transgressions, made an end of sin, and brought in everlasting righteousness, and whomever believes in him is not condemned, and never can be. So, he came to free the captives, he did it. He came to give sight to the blind, he did it. He came to release the oppressed. He did it. He and only he has the power to do all of those things. And think of it this way. If Jesus could do all of those things in his death, then how much more power that he's risen and alive. Right? In his death, he conquered death. In his death, he had the power to conquer death. He's alive now. How much more power does he have to save us, to forgive our sins, and to fulfill all the promises that he gave us? You cannot find that in anyone else, only in Jesus Christ. So Jesus, his resurrection proves that his mission was completed, that he is God in the flesh. Say it with me. His mission was completed. He is God in the flesh. The Apostle Paul says that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God by the power of the resurrection. So the resurrection actually proved 
that he was God. Why did it prove that? It proved that because only God is able to give life. You can't find life anywhere else. For years, scientists have been trying to prove that life can spontaneously happen. It doesn't. Only God gives life. So if Jesus Christ can give life to his dead body, then it proves that he is God. He made that claim. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. He raised himself by his own power, therefore he has the authority over life and death. And that means he also has the privilege to grant life to those who believe in his name and his mission that he came to save sinners. The third thing, his resurrection proves, read them with me, his mission was completed. He is God in the flesh and he was innocent. Every sinner that ever died stayed dead. They stayed dead because that's the fate of every sinner. Sin equals death. The prophet Ezekiel in the Old Testament says, the soul that sin shall die. The soul that sins shall die. If Jesus had any sin in him, he would never be able to rise from the dead. But because he was innocent, he was able to conquer death. In Psalm 18, it says, the cords of death entangled me. The snare of death encompassed me and grabbed me. Well, that's because of sin. But because Jesus was sinless, he was able to pry the fingers of death off of him and be released. And Jesus was released and he rose from the dead because he was innocent and he is risen. You're getting good at that. His resurrection proves, read them with me. His resurrection proves his mission was completed. He is God in the flesh. He was innocent. His sacrifice was accepted. So if sin equals death and Jesus was sinless, why did he die? Well, he died, as I've said, in the place of sinners. He was subbed in for us and he fulfilled the required payment for sin. If he had not fulfilled that payment, he could never have been released from death. And once it was paid, he was free to rise and never die again. And his substitution means that we too are free from death's claims on sinners. You see, because Jesus died in our place, Paul reminds us of this. He says, all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death. Just like we saw this morning, those who were baptized were baptized into his death. For if we become united with him in the likeness of his death, we certainly shall see also, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. In baptism, we show that as well. We show the death and resurrection of Jesus. We show the death of us to our sin and the resurrection to new life. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. So his resurrection proves, let's read these together now, that his mission was completed He is God in the flesh. He was innocent. His sacrifice was accepted and we can live a new life now. We can actually live a new life now. And the best way I can say this is just to read this passage from Galatians to you. 
He says, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That's why we do what we do. Because he loved us and gave himself up for us. In this new life that we are given, we can have forgiveness from Jesus. We can have freedom from our sin, freedom from guilt, release from shame, a renewed mind. He gives meaning to suffering. He gives us a purpose for living and hope for a future. He offers that to us right now. And he has the authority and the privilege to do that because he is a risen savior. No one else has the authority to offer that to you. Look, look for it. You'll never find it anywhere else but in Jesus. And he guarantees not only that we will have life now, but he guarantees that we will have eternal life and that we will be raised to, we will be raised with him. So his resurrection proves, read them with me. His mission was completed. He is God in the flesh. He was innocent. His sacrifice was accepted. We can live a new life now and we will be raised too. We will be raised to be with him. Not only am I guaranteed freedom from sin in this life, but I'm guaranteed that I will be raised in glory in the next. In a body that will no longer even want to sin. I can't even imagine that raised in new flesh, a new body, no longer subject to sin. Jesus said it. He said, because I live, you will live also. That's as simple as it gets. That's what we do when we get baptized. We identify with him. We identify with his death. We identify with his resurrection. And he says, because I live, you will live also. If we have become one with Christ, then we are one in his death and one with him in, in eternal life which means that we will be raised in immortal, incorruptible bodies. The apostle Paul reminds us that the dead will be raised imperishable, for we shall be changed. And then there's one more promise, the promise of his return. Let's read them together. His resurrection proves that his mission was completed. He is God in the flesh. He was innocent. His sacrifice was accepted. We can live a new life now. We will be raised too, and he will come again and take us to be with him. In the Gospel of John, Jesus made the promise to his disciples. He said to them, in a little while you will not see me, and then in a little while after that you will see me again. And that came exactly true. That came true because Jesus died was in the tomb for three days, so that little while they did not see him. He was raised from the dead, and they saw him again. But just as we see in other prophecies, there is, there is an extended view of this. You see, that promise was not just to the disciples. It was to us as well. And we are living in that little time that we do not see him, because you and I are living in the time of faith. We have eyes of faith right now. We don't see Jesus. And so we are waiting for him. We don't see him yet. 
but just as he was faithful to the promise that his disciples would see him again, and they did, we can be assured that we too will see Jesus again, that he will come again. He will come to get us. He will come back for us. And when he comes back, we also will be resurrected. So let me put this all together. These are the foundational truths of the resurrection. They are the foundational truths of the Christian faith. No other faith offers that. Atheism doesn't offer that. Offer that. Agnosticism, which is kind of just like a cop-out of atheism anyway, doesn't offer that. Muslims can't offer this. Hindus, Buddhists, nobody can offer this but Jesus Christ because only he had the authority and the power to raise himself from the dead. And because of his resurrection, he offers that to us freely. All it costs on our behalf is belief. And belief includes with it commitment to him. So when we think about this, that his sacrifice was accepted on our behalf, the historic facts of the crucifixion as resurrection should change everything we do. Skeptics have been trying to disprove it for years, and if any one of the skeptics' uh, theories had been true, don't you think that Christianity would have been knocked down long ago? But nothing can stick because it's historic fact because it's true that Jesus died in your place and my place and that he rose in your place and my place and that he's coming again to bring us to be with him. So let's read it one more time. His resurrection proves that his mission was completed. He is God in the flesh. He was innocent. His sacrifice was accepted. We can live a new life now. We will be raised too and he will come again. So, what's our response to this? Well, well, our response should be immediately to give up our sin. Like, there's no hope in sin. There's no hope in that. What hope do you have? Give up our sin, repent, receive the forgiveness that Jesus offers, receive the new life that he offers. If you have not believed in his name, and by saying that I mean believe and put your trust in his name and his mission to save sinners, then do it today. What a day on the day we celebrate his resurrection. Do it today. His resurrection, the truth of it should drive us to make a much greater commitment to Christ. It should compel us to live and act in a way that demonstrates the power of God in our lives. It should impact us to the point that we can't shut up about Jesus Christ in a nice way, not an obnoxious way, right? But man, if it's really true, how do I keep my mouth shut? Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed, right? He is. He is. So we're going to close. We're going to sing a song called Amen Because He Lives. It's all about the purpose of Jesus living living after, rising from the dead, living after the cross.
If you would like to respond to that, we will have some of our, some of our, our prayer warriors down here ready to pray with you. So elders, wives, uh, staff, come forward now during the song and be prepared for those who come forward to pray. Come forward to, to give your life to Jesus Christ for the first time or to make greater commitment to say, I'm gonna live a resurrection life. I'm tired of this life. I wanna live the resurrection life. Do it now. Today we witnessed people who are saying, I wanna live for Jesus all of my life. That offer is for every one of us. So let's stand together now, sing and come forward if you'd like to pray.